welcome Regina Basalt Church family and those of you joining us online. Last week, I had the privilege, along with some other of our congregation, to attend a children's conference online. You know, one of the great byproducts of this season is that we can go to some of these conferences that we wouldn't be able to go to in the past as a team. This conference is designed to equip and inspire and encourage those that are working with the next generation of kids. And inevitably, when I go to a conference like this, it just gets me thinking about those leaders that poured into my life. I think about Mrs. McKenzie. And Mrs. McKenzie, she was my grade 2-3 teacher at Trasex Gospel Camp. And I remember going to the tabernacle space that she had for her class, and she'd welcome me with her smile, and she was so loving and caring. And I'd run back to my cabin, excited to show my crafts that I had to my parents and to my mom. I think about Mrs. Brightman. Mrs. Brightman was my teacher in my grade five class, my Sunday school teacher. And she challenged our class of three to memorize God's word. And once we completed the challenge, she rewarded us with a weekend on her family farm. And then I think about Mrs. Sharing. And many of us know June Sharing. She's a mighty woman of God. Well, I had the privilege of her being one of my leaders in my life when I was in grade six. And how much she loved God and loved his word was part of what she put into my life. And today we're gonna look at a moment in another leader's life and in a biblical leader's life. And the leaders that I mentioned, they did what this leader challenged God's people to do, to pass on to the next generation faith, to teach the next generation and to ensure that they knew and heard about their God. This leader that I'm talking about this week is Moses. And last week, we looked at a part of his leadership journey at the beginning of that journey. And this week, we're going to look at the end of Moses' life. You know, Moses started as a reluctant leader. But at the end, just listen to the words that are written about Moses. It says this, No prophet ever again arose in Israel like Moses, who knew the Lord's face to face. He did all the signs and wonders the Lord had sent him to do in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh, all his servants and the whole land. And he displayed great power and awesome might in view of all Israel. And yet the journey of Moses, his leadership journey actually ended on a really sad note. At least that's what I think of it as sad because Moses wasn't allowed to cross into the Jordan. He wasn't able to lead the people to the promised land. Moses' last act as a leader was actually to pass on the leadership mantle to Joshua. Joshua was going to be the one that would get to lead the people into the promised land. So Moses, he not only passed on that leadership mantle, but he also prepared the people of God to know what they needed to do to go into the promised land. This preparation, Moses' final instructions to the people, this is the book of Deuteronomy. And Deuteronomy, it's the fifth book of the Bible, fifth book of the Pentateuch. And the name Deuteronomy is actually derived from two words, meaning the second law. That's, this isn't a second law that we're given. It's just the law repeated again. 
the law that Moses had received before that he is now repeating again and expounding upon for the people of Israel. You see, when we want people to know things, we want them to understand things, we teach it again and again. Repetition to ensure that it's heard. That's what Moses is doing because he knows it's vital that the people knew the instructions of God. In fact, the book of Deuteronomy was so important that Moses actually commanded that all the future kings of Israel would know it by heart in order for them to rule wisely. Moses, he spoke it often so they wouldn't forget, and he commanded them to memorize it to ensure that they would never forget. And this is what Moses is doing throughout the book of Deuteronomy. He knows that it's critical that they know what God said and the deeds that he performed for his people. In chapter four, listen to Moses' words to Israel. Pay attention to the statues and ordinances I'm about to teach you so that you might live and go on to enter and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God, that the, Lord the God of your ancestors is giving you. Do not add a thing to what I commanded you, nor subtract from it, so that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I am delivering to you. And further on in the chapter, it says, pay very close attention, lest you forget the things you have seen and disregard them for the rest of your life. This has happened to them in the past. And Moses is saying, don't forget what has happened to you. Instead, teach them to your children and to your grandchildren. And then in in chapter six, Moses says it again. He says, pay attention, Israel, and be careful to do this so it may go well with you. And throughout the book of Deuteronomy, Moses continues to encourage Israel to hear the words of the Lord and not just to listen, but to actually do. Do what I'm telling you to do and pass it on to the generations to come. You see, these weren't just the instructions that the Israelites needed to see the promised land, to see the promises fulfilled in their generation, but these were the instructions for the next generations to come that they'd know how to live as God's people. Moses, he's coming to the end of his life, not just his leadership journey, but the end of his life. And I want you to think about Moses' heart for a moment this leader who led them out of Egypt, that led them through the Red Sea and through so many trials and highs and lows, moments of frustration and anger and beautiful moments of might and power of God. He loved these people. And he wanted to see these people see the promises of God fulfilled in their life, that they would enter the promised land And he knew that God would provide what they needed to see the promises fulfilled. You know, I think about it like this. When you have a big task at work and you get that motivation talk or that pep talk from your your coach or your leader or your boss, or, or maybe you're on a hockey team and it's game seven of your playoff series and the coach gathers the team together and gives that rallying cry. Well, this is what I think of when Moses is giving these final words, his final battle cry to the people. Listen to what he says. Today, I'm 120 years old. 
and I am no longer able to get about. And the Lord has said to me, you will not cross the Jordan. As for the Lord, your God, he is about to cross over before you. He will destroy these nations before you and you will dispose them. As for Joshua, he is about to cross before you, just as the Lord has said. The Lord will do to them just what he did to Sinon and Og, the Amorite kings, and to their land, which he destroyed. The Lord will deliver them over to you and you will do to them according to the whole commandments I have given you. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or tremble before them for the Lord your God is the one who is going with you. He will not fail you or abandon you. Yeah, it's gonna be a battle. Yeah, you have enemies just like you had enemies in the past. And remember in the past, God defeated those enemies and he will do it again. You will have victory. You'll see the God's promises fulfilled. Do what I've commanded you to do. And remember, you're not alone. This is Moses's final instructions to his people. And for those of you that aren't aware, can fast forward and you read in Joshua 21, 45, this is what it says. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All, all of God's promises came to, pro- came to pass. Just like Pastor Jim said last week, when God makes a promise, he keeps that promise. You know, there's another battle moment that we find much later in scripture. And actually this is a moment in Jesus's life. And again, in this battle moment, the words of Deuteronomy are used. The same instruction Moses gave to God's people, they're now being implored to fight this battle moment. The moment I'm talking about happens in Matthew chapter four. Jesus had just been baptized and he's about to begin his public ministry. And it says that he is led by the spirit out into the wilderness for 40 days. And at the end of those 40 days, it says that he is hungry. And it's at this moment, in this moment of Jesus' life that Satan comes and he tries to tempt him. This is the first battle moment. Matthew 4.3 says, if you are the son of God, I read some different commentators and they all agreed that you can translate it and say, since you are the son of God. You see, Satan, he knew, he knows who Jesus is. And he's saying to Jesus, prove it. You say that you are the son of God, then prove you are who you say you are. You're the son of God. Why should you be hungry? Why should you experience this fleshly desire that you can actually satisfy yourself? Turn this rock to bread. You know, I thought about this for a moment and I don't think the miracle in itself would have been wrong, but what would have been wrong is if Jesus would have been using his authority, he would have been using his power to gratify his own personal needs, his own personal desires, his hunger. You see, Jesus was hungry because he was actually being led by the spirit into the wilderness. He was following the will of his father. And so everything that he walked through, that was part of his father's plan. You see, Satan was actually trying to move him off of the path of obedience to the father's will. 
because he knew Jesus came to be our perfect sacrifice for our sins. Remember what John the Baptist said, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus came on mission for you and for me. And there was two keys to this mission. The first key, full, complete surrender and obedience to will of the father. And the second is that Jesus would live fully as a man. You see, no man could satisfy their physical hunger by turning a stone to bread alone. It says that Jesus actually gave up his divine privileges when he was born in human likeness. Jesus, the son of man, could not act like he did not have a heavenly father who would provide what he needed. So how did Christ respond to this temptation? Well, it's found in the book of Deuteronomy. Remember that book that was told that it was critical for both children and for kings to know those scriptures that were passed on to generations and generations that Jesus now knows fully himself. He quotes Deuteronomy 8, verse 3. Man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. You know, if you go back and you read the context of this verse, this is when the Israelites are actually in the wilderness and God provides manna for them, food for them to enjoy. But in order for them to enjoy it, they actually needed to obey God's instruction. You see, in this moment, God was teaching them obedience and submitting to his direction. Jesus' response to Satan demonstrates his absolute obedience to the will of God and his absolute dependence on his father. Man lives by every word. So what does Satan do? He tries again. There's a second temptation. And you know, it's interesting when you look at this second temptation, Satan, what does he try to do? Well, he uses the very thing that Jesus used to defeat him the first time, scripture, to try to twist it and to tempt him. You see, Satan is trying to prod Jesus into testing his father. You're submitted to him. You're dependent on him. You're gonna follow him. Shouldn't you know for sure that he's trustworthy? So test him. You know, the problem with that logic is that you only test someone that you don't have full confidence in. If you fully are confident in someone, then you have no need for a test. You know, and Satan, as I said already, he uses the ploy, the deceitful ploy, when he tries to take scripture and and he says to Jesus, just throw yourself off. Of course, you'll, you'll be saved. You'll be fine. God will protect you. We can't twist scripture in order to do what we want or to use scripture to give us permission to do something that we know is not part of God's will. Jesus knew this wasn't something that the father was asking him to do. Clearly, it was Satan testing him, challenging him, tempting him. So Jesus responds again by quoting Deuteronomy, this time chapter six, verse 16. And he says, Do not test the Lord your God. Again, this is a reference back to the people. And at this point in time, they were complaining about God. 
and they didn't trust God that he would provide. In fact, what they wanted was they wanted this dramatic and big sign. They wanted a moment, a dramatic moment that would prove they could trust him. But Jesus, he says, no, my trust is perfect. I don't need anything to prove it. I know my father is faithful because that is who our heavenly father is. And then there's the third and final test. And Satan takes Jesus to a high point and and it says that he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. Some sort of vision. We don't know exactly what this looks like, but Jesus sees this. And Satan says to him, you can have all of these things. You just need to bow down and worship me. You know, I think this temptation gives us a glimpse of the tempter. Satan, he's really proud. I mean, he's offering something to Jesus that's really not his to offer. And he's jealous. He desires worship that only belongs to God. And this has been historically Satan's desire. Think about it for a moment. His desire was so great to be worshiped that he was willing to surrender this entire realm that he's currently ruling for Christ to worship him. But Christ's response again from Deuteronomy, fear the Lord your God and serve him only. See how Jesus links worship and service By his serving the will of the Father and his obedience to the scripture, he is worshiping the Father, the only one that is ever worthy of worship. After this final temptation, Satan leaves. I want you to listen to the words that are written in 1 John. It says this, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. See, Jesus, he faced each one of these worldly desires. Satan tested him in each one of them. The desire of the flesh, he experienced hunger and the opportunity to satisfy that desire himself. And he said, no. He faced the desire of pride of life. Show that you're the son of God. Prove that you are who you say you are. He said, no. Face that temptation of, of that desire of all that you see, the greed and envy, and you can have all of it if you just worship me. And Jesus said no. He had victory over it all. And it's on this basis that the writer of Hebrews can say he faced all the same testings we do, and yet Jesus didn't sin. And you know, it's critical that we understand that Jesus fought this battle as a man. He fought it the same way that you and I can fight the battles that we face. You see, he was led by the spirit and he relied on the power and the truth of God's word and he was victorious. God's word is our weapon and through Christ we have victory. It reminds me of that critical scripture that I remembered as a child that I've hidden God's word in my heart so I will not sin against you. 
So my question for you today is what is that moment that you're facing in your life right now? What's the battle that you are walking through? Are you speaking God's word over your life? Are you using the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God to fight this battle? Brothers and sisters, we need to make sure that we are aware that we do have an enemy. It says that we are to be sober-minded and watchful. Your adversary, the devil, he prowls around like a lion seeking someone to devour. So what do we do? We resist him. We are firm in our faith and we knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Ephesians 6.11 tells us that there are schemes of the devil and how do we stand against them? Well, we put on the whole armor of God. See, we can stand against his schemes. We have what we need to resist him. So let us be firm in our faith and let us not waver and believe his lies. I know it can be difficult in those moments when you're facing that battle. So I want to speak to some of the battles that you might be walking through right now. God is saying to you that if your battle is worry, he wants you to know that he gives you peace. Don't let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You can cast your anxieties onto him because he cares for you. Maybe right now you're struggling to trust him. There's promises that you don't see coming to pass. Maybe you're facing financial difficulty or your business is in trouble. And he would say to you today, know therefore that the Lord your God is God. The faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. He says that he is faithful and that he will establish and guard you against the evil one. Maybe you're just tired and weary. Maybe that's the battle. You're actually just tired of fighting battles. And he would say to you that his presence goes with you and that he gives you rest. He says to you today that you can do all things through him who strengthens you. Allow him to strengthen you today. Maybe what you're struggling with right now is you just don't think that he would ever get it. There's no way that God could actually understand what you're struggling with or what you're facing. And he says to you today that he is abundant in power and his understanding is beyond measure. Maybe you're battling your past. Maybe you're struggling with condemnation in your life. He says that his steadfast love of the Lord, it'll never cease. My mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is God's faithfulness. Or maybe you're broken. Maybe you've had a marriage broken up or a friendship fall apart. Maybe just in this loss, this season, what can feel like loss, you're grieving or you've had someone pass away in your life. Or maybe you're broken because someone else in your life is struggling. They're hurting. They've walked away from God. 
Whatever it is, whatever has caused that brokenness, God says to you that he heals the brokenhearted and he binds up your wounds today. Right now, I just want us to remember that this battle we're facing is a spiritual battle. Ephesians 6 reminds us that we are facing a battle against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And because it's a spiritual battle, we need spiritual weapons to fight it. We need to pray God's word over our situations and we need to stand our ground against the enemy. And through it all, we can thank God because he's given us the victory through Lord Jesus Christ. I want to close this morning. And I just want us to get into a posture of receiving. Because I believe that God wants to speak directly. If he hasn't already, he wants to speak directly into your life this morning or this afternoon or whatever time it is that you're watching this right now. So I'd encourage you, whatever posture it, it looks like to receive for you, maybe you need to close your eyes, put your coffee down, open up your hands, whatever it might look like, just to just say, Holy Spirit, come and speak to me right now. Come and speak to me right now. I'm walking a battle. I'm, I'm struggling so much right now and I need you. I need you in my life. And he wants to come and meet you wherever you're at right now. He wants to come and fill you and encourage you and restore you. And he says to you, the same of what Moses said to the Israelites, he's speaking over you today. Hear these words. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or tremble before them, before your enemy. For the Lord your God is the one who is going before you. He's going with you. He will not fail you. He will not abandon you. And remember the words of Jesus, I am with you always to the ends of the age. Amen. God bless you.